Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Nerd Pod Generations, episode 54. 54. Which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of episodes. Uh, as always, my name is Steve T- Taylor. I am one of your hosts. I am here with the lovely Al Judson. Hello, sir. Hello, friends and enemies. How you doing, How's bud? It? It's going good, man. It's going good. Summer's here. Nice. It's beautiful out. I got my first sunburn of the year. From your massive bike ride? My big bike ride. Nice. Nice. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's been good. I do have to apologize to you and the listeners. If you ever hear me stammer, my allergies were killing me today. So uh, the only thing that helps allergies for me is Benadryl. Mm. But it also puts me slightly on Mars. Yeah, I bet. Um, So if you hear me slur, it's only because I'm Benadryled out of my mind right now. I feel you. But I can breathe, and I haven't sneezed yet, so. I'm on Zyrtec, and my eyes eyes are just burning. Dude, it's been awful this last week. Yeah. Just terrible. Yeah. And I know for me, it's like cut grass. Mm -hmm. And like all I heard was lawnmowers today, so I was like, this is going to be a bad day. Yeah, you go by the park and it's just oh, heaps so and heaps much. and heaps of cut grass yeah. that they've just left behind. And I'm like, this is a soccer field. Yeah. <laughs> like, you you painted it and everything. Why didn't you get rid of the heaps of grass? That's not the kind of grass I like either. All right, folks, NerdPod Generations. I got, we got to get the word out. All right, this is episode 54, mm-hmm. as we were saying. we You can catch us every week, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcast side of your choice. Please, if you were listening to us for the first time, go back and listen to some of our past episodes. I think the last episode we did on Doctor Strange uh, in the Mouth of Madness. No, yeah. not Mouth of Madness. Multiverse, Multiverse of Madness. Um, I still say Mouth of, from the Mouth of Madness. Because that was an actual movie, and I always get those titles yeah. screwed up. It's a better title. It is. Just... It doesn't make much sense with the multiverse, but it's still a better just... title. I agree with you. I'm just going to throw it out there. There's like three universes. Yeah. I think there's more universes in Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse than there are in Multiverse of Madness. I think so, too. You know? But anyway, it's I, a great episode. I digress. I digress. I highly recommend go back and listening to it, especially, once again, everything we typically do, folks, is spoilers. Heavy mm-hmm. spoilers. That, especially, is heavily spoilers. Okay. So if you have not seen it yet, please see the movie, or if you don't care about spoilers, go back and listen to it. Highly entertaining. We also put up YouTube videos, which I have... Not put one up yet this week, and I was aiming to. I've got to put one up. Um, I'm going to do one on Romancing the Stone, and I'll explain to you why I'm doing that one in a second, Mm -hmm. and you'll understand. Um, But, you know, if you want to watch, see what Al and I look like, and listen to us ramble on about different movies, um, or Al has has shown some of his um, artwork that he does, please, YouTube.com, Nerdpot Generations, like the videos, you know, subscribe, hit the notification bell, you know, give us comments, let us know. We want, we really want to build this brand. Um, what we like to do, and we haven't done it in a couple of weeks because our shows have been so completely action-packed, is start each episode with what have you been watching, reading, playing. So I will shoot this to you first, Mr. L. So I actually watched, we've been watching a lot of Karen Gillan property. Oh, nice. On the, on the, the show this year. Uh-huh. And uh, so I watched the Karen Gillan horror film, Oculus. How is that? It's very good. I heard it was really it's good. It's very good. It's not your... It's that... So it has a lot of that usual haunted house mm. demon kind of thing going on. But what it does that's interesting is uh, Karen Gillan plays this character who's known that this haunted mirror is haunted since mm-hmm. she was 10. And she's followed it her entire life. And now she finally has an opportunity to destroy it. And she's going to document the whole thing and just show how 
this mirror like is makes you crazy and so there's this aspect of it that's all this security footage that she has from around the mirror Mm. and so you'll have these characters having this angry conversation about their childhood and then they'll realize that they hear a sound or something and they'll go back to the room where the mirror is and everything's been moved and they're like oh there's ghosts ghosts and they review the footage and it's them having the same argument but they're moving everything in the room and they're like i don't remember doing that do you remember doing that no weird and it's like the guy will keep calling the police to try and get them to help and you can never tell if you're actually calling anybody or not and so he'd like he'll think he'll go outside and it's like no you never went outside you've been inside this whole time it's weird and it's that sounds really good it's really good i was really impressed I, I distinctly remember the trailer where she's looking in the mirror and like a hand comes out or comes out like the back of the hair or something. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember exactly, but I do. Where did you see that? What was it streaming on? That was on Hulu. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. Because I'm a big fan of Carrie Gillen. Oh, yeah. And she was great. Amy Pond. She's great. Can't go wrong with Amy Pond. She does. <laughs> she has uh, one of the hallucinations involves her uh, eating an apple because she has timers set up for everything. So every hour they have to eat, mm-hmm. or every 30 minutes or something, so that they don't get fooled. Like her uh, fiancé is supposed to call on the hour, and if he can't make contact with her, he's supposed to call the police. And like she has all these fail-safes set up, uh, and yet the, the ghosties get the better of her while mm-hmm. she's changing out light bulbs and eating an apple. I'll leave it at that. And that's... It's it's a pretty good horror movie. It is, yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty. It's been good. a while since I've seen like a really solid horror movie, unless you count last week, because that's kind of horroristic. But it like had an horror actual, aspects. Horror movie. Yeah. It 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 it's the Marvel version of horror, mm-hmm. where like there were horror aspects, but it never tilted fully into horror. Mm-hmm. It always just kind of like was like horror. It's okay. Don't worry. It's 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 fine. No. Horror. It's fun. It's Which fun I've read, there are a lot of people that are kind of upset with Marvel that they didn't make it a rated R movie because they've taken their kids. And it's like, oh, they're scaring the shit out of the kids. Because that is not something you bring kids to, that no. movie. No. Not even a minute of it. No, dummy. Yeah. Oh, But people are stupid. I, I they don't need, They need to tell them. Like, I never understood the parents who would go to a store and buy their kid like a Grand Theft Auto game not knowing what it is. Yeah. It's like, you can't be that oblivious to life. The movie is still PG-13, dummy. If you bring your eight-year-old to it, it's very likely that there's going to be some stuff in it that's going to be creepy-crawly. Especially because, if you watch the trailer, Marvel shows you that there's going to be some creepy-crawliness in this movie. So. Well, and like, The Ring and The Grudge, they're both PG-13. Really? Oh yeah, because if you think about it, there's no blood in it. Mm. There's really no blood. It's just a lot of like terror and scare, mm-hmm. and it's like if that movies those movies would scare the living shit out of a kid. Mm-hmm. So why are you automatically going to bring them to a PG thirteen movie because they see Marvel? They think, oh well, oh it's going to be fine. There's it's toys Marvel. involved, so you know, yeah. should be fine. It's kind of like the Batman Returns fiasco that happened with McDonald's back in the day, <sighs> which it's the same type of thing. It's like. Just because it's a comic book movie doesn't mean you bring your kids to it. Yeah. Not gonna, I mean, you've, if you haven't learned from both Blade and Deadpool yet, that not every comic book movie is for kids. That is still 
my favorite thing. What's that? Is that Deadpool came out and they said in no uncertain terms, this is not for kids. It's for families, but it's not for kids. It's for couples. It's not for kids. This is not a kid's comic book movie. Yeah. And I still remember going to see it at the movie theater, and there were, like, eight-year-olds in the audience and just terrified dads that were like, oh, my God, what did I do? And it's like, what do you mean, what did you do? They told you. They told you in no uncertain terms, man. Like, what are you, what is wrong with you? nowadays with, everyone has the most powerful computer in their pockets, their Mm -hmm. cell phone. Type in Deadpool. Pops up. Type in um, Multiverse of Madness. And you're like, all right, Sam Raimi's the director. Who's Sam Raimi? He's a big time horror movie director. Maybe this will have parts of it that are too scary for my kids. Look at the trailer for five minutes and see that there's a zombie Doctor Strange. Which is terrifying. And know that that's going to be part of the movie. Yes. So, you know, however you want to deal with that. But, like, if you went to The Dark Knight and you were like, oh, Two-Face is so graphic and awful and it's I can't believe I can't show this to my kids. And it's like, this was that this was never for your yeah. kids in the first place, People dude. People are just idiots. Just lazy yeah. and stupid. Yeah. And they need to get over it. Yeah. All right. I'm very excited to talk about this. Yes. I saw two movies over the last couple nights. Mm-hmm. Both of them are probably the up there for the worst movies I've seen in quite a bit of time. Uh-huh. The first one was Snake Eyes. You sat down and watched Snake I, Eyes. It, it is on Amazon Prime right now, so I'm like, you know what? It's free. I gotta at least watch it because... I'm calling this the Uncharted conundrum because mm-hmm. I had such a negative outlook on that movie and I ended up loving it. What so if like, it's good? Exactly. What if it's good? Snake Eyes is so bad. Yeah. Horribly bad. Now, mind you folks, I will watch most movies, including bad ones, to completion. If I stop watching a movie at some point, it is the worst of the worst. Like I famously, my friends like to tell the story... I famously and very loudly walked out of Alien Resurrection. Because of the... It was so bad. Like, I tried so hard to sit through most of that movie. I got past the basketball scene, especially because I had heard the rumor that she actually did make that shot. And if you look at Ron Perlman's expression, Mm -hmm. he was like, holy shit. Because she tried like a bunch of times and never made it. And they were going to just CG it, but she actually made it. It was just... It was in that level to where you're like... Maybe there's a payoff that's going to be good, but I'm not going to waste my time in case. Mm-hmm. It was just that bad. Like, truly horrible movie. I remember hearing that the ending was very bad. Oh, yeah. I, like, it was a CGI mess. But or it was too dark to see something like that. It's what I expected, like though. Yeah. Because it's it's that trend that... Actually, we were just talking about the Resident Evil before it started. The Resident Evil movies kind of started this trend where it's like, all right, if you are going to put... A comic book or a video game on the screen, it has to be like a techno nightmare, visually and audibly. And that's kind of what this was. It's like, all right, let's make the action really fast-paced with a lot of cuts. Let's make, you know, the dialogue just horrible that any idiot would be like, I know what he's saying, and I didn't mean to say it in an accent, folks. I have nothing against any accents. But it was just really bad. Yeah. 
As, but I wasn't expecting Like, I was expecting it to be bad. I guess I didn't expect it to be as bad as it was. Mm-hmm. But it was pretty effing bad. Especially, like, it really does take the canon of Snake Eyes and say, meh. Not interested. There is 40 years, I think it's been now, since G.I. Joe was first came to fruition. It's been 40 years of canon. Well, we just throw it away. Kind of like the first G.I. Joe movie with the exoskeleton suits. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. It's never been in anything G.I. Joe, but hey, it's cool, so kids will like it. Hey, why not? We gotta sell action figures. Dude, don't watch it. Folks, do not watch Snake Eyes. If you like it, I apologize. I hope the scar from your brain surgery heals, because <laughs> obviously there's gotta be some kind of an issue. Terrible movie. Rolls into my second terrible movie. And this is the reason why I'm doing Romancing the Stone as one of my video reviews. Have you ever watched Romancing the Stone? I have not. Okay. I'm not. Romancing the Stone, for those of you who do not know, was a movie from the 80s starring Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas. It is, she plays a, a writer, a romance novelist writer, whose sister gets in trouble with these um, military slash drug dealers slash like treasure hunting guys in uh, Cartagena. And they kidnap her, send like a ransom to her sister who has to go down to Cartagena to, to like pay the ransom to save her. And along the way, she gets separated from the bus she's on and she runs into Michael Douglas, who plays like it. Like, it the best way to describe it is a mix between Indiana Jones and Han Solo. Mm-hmm. And he just like travels the jungle and he knows everything. And great movie, super fun. Danny DeVito plays like. He's kind of the bad guy, but he's not. He's bumbling, and he's funny. And they actually made a sequel called Jewel of the Nile, which is pretty awesome. Romance and Stone, though, incredible. So I saw The Lost City. Sandra Bullock. Oh, yeah. Because that now is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Channing Tatum, Brad Pitt. Mm -hmm. Not only is it an absolute ripoff in so many ways of Romancing the Stone, Sandra Bullock's character is a romance novelist. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets kidnapped by Daniel Radcliffe, mm-hmm. who plays like this super trillionaire. It's like, I can't remember the name of the Murdoch that's going to take over Fox News from when the old man dies. Mm-hmm. But he has another brother, and that brother has nothing to do with any of it. And that's kind of the Daniel Radcliffe. His brother took over like this um, conglomerate. And he's like, well, I just got all this money and nothing to do, so I'm just trying to find this lost city and this fire crown, I believe it was called. And Channing Tatum plays the cover model from her romance novels. And he ends up, he sees her getting abducted and, and like, goes after her because he knows a guy from, like, some boot camp yoga he took who is Brad Pitt, who is a dead ripoff of Michael Douglas' character. Mm. And I'm watching it, I'm like, this is... In an absolutely horrible remake of Romancing the Stone. Like, there are enough differences where they can kind of get away with it and say, well, it's not the tone, the everything. I mean, the fact that they made her a romance novelist. Yeah, that's pretty dead on. It's like, are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah. And I was watching it trying, like, I'm like, all right, I like Brad Pitt a lot. I am now a fan of Channing Tatum after the 21 and 22 Jump Street movies. And Sandra Bullock, you know, I've been hot and cold with her you know i love demolition man some of her like more dramatic things like gravity and whatnot she's all right in it 
I like her earlier work more than yeah. her like mid to late two thousands work. So like, like the rom coms were like really good. And speed and, and yeah. So yeah. like when she was in the action movies and the rom coms, she was okay. Yeah. Like I think what's that one with Ryan Reynolds, the proposal? The proposal was, that, was that pretty one was good. Right, yeah. It was pretty good. Um I I really wanted this to be good mm-hmm. and it was completely not good. Yeah. And it really made me mad. Yeah. And the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, I just want to watch Romance in the Stone now because it is a thousand time better version of this movie. How much of that movie is Brad Pitt in? Because I I thought when I first saw it that Brad Pitt was going to have an almost Deadpool 2 level of connection to the plot where he was just going to show up for one scene and then leave. I mean, he's not in it an overwhelming amount, but mm-hmm. he is in it more than you would think. And okay. he's in it pretty close to out of the shoot. Like, the whole abduction thing takes place in the first, like, 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then he's in it then. And, he, yeah, it's not... I, I mean, I would not say it was a major part. But he's a major character in a smaller yeah. screen time. Because he's, he's the, the guy that would be the lead normally. Yes. But Channing Tatum is supposed to be the lead... Except that he's an idiot. Yes. And this is my understanding of the plot of this movie. Yeah, you know, they made him out to be the dumb model yeah. comic relief guy. I believe the kids call it a himbo. He is a himbo. Yeah. He's 100% a himbo. Yes. And so it was It was a disappointing movie week. Because, like, those are the only two films I've watched. Mm-hmm. And they were both bad. Yeah. And, like, I don't get a lot of time to watch movies. Especially with the amount of TV shows. Even though most of them have ended... With the amount of stuff that there is to watch, it's really hard to see these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I am excited, and I want to talk about this at some point, so I'm going to have to watch it and let you borrow it. One of my favorite movies growing up is not deemed as a good movie. And it's not a great movie, per se. Mm-hmm. But in the rose-colored glasses that I have for my youth, I love it. It's called Corvette Summer. Oh, I know this movie. Mark Hamill, Andy yeah. Potts. Did yeah, you see yeah. it? I haven't seen it, but I the show that I reference a lot, Welcome to the Basement, okay. had an episode where they did a riff tracks of Corvette Summer. Oh, okay. So I'm familiar with the entire plot gotcha. and how everything rolls. Well, you know, growing up as a kid, you're like, not only is it Luke Skywalker, because mm-hmm. I think this movie, I think it came out between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. I believe so. I'm pretty sure. You know, when... You're a kid and you see like a Corvette Stingray, like the one you rebuild, you're like, oh my god, it's the greatest thing ever. And so the whole parts with like Andy Potts being a prostitute and all yep. that, that didn't really sink in too much <laughs> when I was a kid. But I found it on Blu-ray. And I found it on Blu-ray for like $14. Oh shit. So I bought it. I just got it yesterday. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I cannot wait. And I know, like I'm going into it completely nostalgic. I do the review of that. I'd 100% do a review of I that. I gotta do a review. Yeah. I have to. Because it's so good. It's such a, I mean, it's so bad, it's so good. Mm-hmm. But it's, I, I, I piss off my friends who are big Star Wars fans knowing that I'm not a Star Wars fan. I say it's my favorite Mark Hamill movie. <laughs> and they get so mad at me. What about Empire Strikes Back? I'm like, yeah, Corvette's over, man. Something about having Andy Potts in there, you know? It's that Ghostbusters Ghostbusters, what do you want? <laughs> but yeah, so that's good. Hopefully when I watch that, it'll put a little life back in me. You need a movie cleanse. Dude, I need a big... You, you've had a lot of junk. Honestly, after these two movies, I think my movie cleanse needs to be something hardcore, like Lord of the Rings, or like a a truly 
masterpiece movie that I will watch and I'll be like, all right. We just watched Lord of the Rings again, all three. We you devoted did? it a weekend to it. We were just like, you know what, this is what we want to do. And so we did it, and I have no regrets. It was 100% worth it. Do you know how you could tell a noob was Lord of the Rings? Hmm. It's the easiest way. What do you think the easiest way to tell a noob? Uh, they don't understand Faramir's character. No. They don't know who Tom Bombadil is. They have no idea they're extended versions of those movies. You know oh, how many shit. people I've talked to are like, oh, I love those movies. Well, have you seen the extended versions? What? Okay. Hang on. You have not seen those movies. Unless you watch the extended versions of The Lord of the Rings, you have not seen those movies. Yeah. Period. End of story. I mean, it adds an extra quarter to the movies. It does. It, it adds... There's so many scenes that are intrinsically necessary to the plot that are omitted from the theatrical version, just for runtime's sake. And uh, I'm looking at you, Fall of Isengard, in mm. both one, or two and three. Um, well, like in, in Fellowship, the when they are getting the gifts from Galandria, I love that mm-hmm, scene. Mm-hmm. And that's not, and she's speaking Elvish with uh, uh, Aragorn. Yeah. And you're like, oh my god, this scene is amazing. Yeah. I'm to do it. Nothing. And you have the Gimli line where he said he asked her for one hair and she gave him two, which is from... Is it, I can't remember if that's from the book. I think it's from the book. I think it's like from it, the book. It, there was one that they pulled it directly. Yeah. And they wasn't in the original. I'm like, God damn it. Yeah. Those cuts are so great. Yeah. Oh, like it's those, the only way to watch it. Yeah. It's absolutely the only way to watch it. I still say, as much as I love the 4K versions, the Blu-ray box set was the most perfect box set of films because it had all the appendices. Because the 4K ones didn't come with the appendices. Oh. Just the movies. See, those were necessary for us to own because Kelly loves the oh all of They're all so of the good. special features and everything. Well, and luckily, I I gave away the Blu-rays to the movies, but not the appendice Blu-rays. So I still have those because I got even though I have I think I have the DVD version, I have the Blu-ray, and now I have the 4K. Mm-hmm. But those appendices, dude. Not only are they great to watch, but if you ever need to go to sleep, mm-hmm. you put on the ones where they're talking about how they get it from the novel, and it's like six hours of that. <laughs> I can make it through like ten minutes if I'm really tired. I love the bigatures, the them going over the giant miniatures yes. that are like the size of a house, and it's like, oh, it's this, it's a, it's a miniature of a mountain, but it's like to it's scale. Amazing, yeah. No, I love Man. those two. Oh, it's so fucking good. All right, folks, we're done with those tangents. All right, so we have a big TV week. We do. So we're going to quickly talk about Strange New Worlds, the first episode, and then we got to go to the season finale and what we thought of season two of Picard, and then the season finale and what we thought of... They've said they're highly hoping to do a second season of Moon Knight, so we got to talk about the first full season of Moon Knight. You have to talk about the ending of Moon Knight. And I think the... Final episode, my review will surprise you. Oh, now, now I'm intrigued. That's what I'm going to say. All right, so first, Strange New Worlds. Yes. Anson Mount, um, Re- Rebecca Romain, and uh, I can't remember the actor who played Spock in Discovery, but he's back playing Spock. Uh, uh, Anson Mount plays uh, Pike. Rebecca Romain plays his number one. Ethan Peck. Ethan Peck, thank you. I remember, I, I knew his name was familiar too with Ethan. So the first episode, I have Hope. Mm-hmm. But I would be lying if I said I loved it. I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to like it. I did like, you know, I did like it a lot. But I don't know if 
I think it's them trying to get their feet into this. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost wondering also if my initial reaction was because most TV shows lately have been so dark, and this really isn't dark, which is great, and I like that. It's more that hopeful Star Trek, mm-hmm. where they're like meeting new new species, and it's not necessarily fights and all that. I was a fan. I'm looking forward to watching the new episode. Mm-hmm. So I'm hope I'm hopeful this series has some legs. I'm curious to see how it goes. Uh, the the first episode really does feel like a Star Trek Next Gen episode yes. in a way. Um, it doesn't... And, you know, like, Picard is built on knowledge of Next Gen, right? Yes. You don't need to watch Next Gen to get Picard, but you get more out of Picard by watching Next Gen. Yes. Um, and this felt much more like a, a genuine Star Trek, I will still say. There was a little too much... Uh, reference to Discovery for my taste because like I've, I haven't seen one episode of Discovery yeah, yeah. so I came into this totally cold and there was a lot of reference to Discovery and I was like I get it well, they it's were, a spinoff but like season 2 was pretty much a mix between the people from Strange New Worlds and mm-hmm. Discovery because not to give any spoilers away something happens to the captain in the first season so in the second season, they put Pike in charge of Discovery temporarily. Um, and then at the end, they go back to the Enterprise. I do... In, I don't know how I feel about this, because it feels like a pigeonhole thing to me. Where they have um, Kirk's brother, Sam Kirk. Yeah, that was which weird. Which, he's been in a lot of books. I've read a lot of the novels, novels for Star Trek, which mm-hmm. some are fantastic, including there's one called... Collision Course, and it's about Spock and Kirk meeting in Starfleet. That's an awesome book. Um, and he's talked about a lot in that, but it's like, I don't really think you needed to make him a Starfleet officer, mm-hmm. just so you could say the name Kirk. A lot. A lot. And he's only in two episodes. I've looked it up. He's only in two episodes this season. So this first episode, he must play a part in another episode, and then he's not in any it's other Probably episode. in the next episode, and then he's yeah. gone. So it's kind of interesting to me. Well, they seem to be setting up a lot of the original. Yeah, OG. Hora is actually one of exactly. She's a. She's the communications officer. Yeah, she's she's, she's still a cadet, I believe. Yeah, she is a cadet. She's yeah. she. They refer to her as a prodigy. Yeah. And so, uh, but she's going to play a major role in everything that's happening. Yeah. Obviously, Spock. Yeah. But like I and I do like the Ethan Peck interpretation of Spock more than the Zachary Quinto. Mm-hmm. Um, Zachary Quinto, I don't know. It's just some about his Spock that bugged me, and I didn't like it a lot. But Ethan Peck's he carries that kind of that stoic gravitas that Leonard Nimoy did so perfectly mm-hmm. that I think that was the big thing Zachary Quinto couldn't really pull off because he just overly showed his emotions in those movies, and you're like, dude. Mr. Spock didn't show some emotions. You're not playing him right. Um, well, the one scene of I couldn't help but think of it. That there's a in the trailer for the the season at the uh, the end of the first episode. There's a scene of of him and Ohura having a conversation, and just the 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 feel of it is zero chemistry between yes, the two, which is great. And then you have the J.J. Abrams where they're like the main love interests of the entire series 
And that still to this day is one of my least favorite plot devices that people have to, they think they need to put in a movie, you have to have some kind of a love interest. Yeah. You don't need a love interest. No. You just don't. Love interest is outdated. Yeah. And it's it's it just doesn't fit in certain stories. The new big thing is platonic friends. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, be part of the friend zone. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, especially when you're altering a character like Spock, who had led on that he had feelings for women. Like at um, Star Trek 60 Undiscovered Country. You've seen that, right? Uh, Undiscovered Country. With the Klingons whose planet is yes. destroyed. Okay. Yes. When he's talking to Kim Cattrall's character um, in in his quarters and they're drinking tea together, there's that like rom- a little bit of romantic chemistry, even though they were both playing it as straight as possible. Mm-hmm. Like they, if you looked at them, you didn't think they had any interest in one another. But then just the way they were acting, there was that little, and that's the kind of. Like, romantic involvement I expect to see out of, like, a Spock character. You don't have him be an overly whelming... Like, even in the beginning, when Ethan Peck's Spock was betrothed to this woman. Yeah. And, I mean, they're getting it on, but they're talking as if they were programming a VCR. Yeah, they do. And it's like, that's... Okay, I believe more, because Vulcans do... They are... They even said at one point they were emo- more emotional than humans until they learned to control them. Mm-hmm. Seeing that, it's like, okay, I can buy that. Well, they're even asked to leave by the waiter. Yeah, which is awesome. Kiss, <laughs> and then it was like, pretty much him saying, get a room yeah, <laughs> in Vulcan, yeah, which is great. Yeah, I appreciated that. But yeah, no, I, I, I have high hopes for the series. I Once again, I, I want to know what you thought of, because I know you said before you're not a big fan of Anson Mount. I actually was surprised at how much I liked Anson Mount yeah. in this. I was quite surprised at how much I liked his captain. I told you, he plays that character really well. He really does. Yeah. And it made me think, like, oh, he could play Black Bolt. Mm-hmm. If we did bring the Inhumans oh, back yeah. into the MCU for real, like he could play and Black Bolt. Now that I've Bolt. seen him in that costume, it's like, pff, yeah. dude, he's... That costume was the piece that was missing, was because perfect. the costume that they had... Like everything for the Inhumans yeah. TV show was hot trash. Yeah, I know. I don't. It was usually... recycled into the Eternals. If you think about it, a lot yeah. of the clothes are the same. Oh yeah, I don't like to talk bad on things I haven't seen. Yeah, but the fact that I am a huge Marvel guy and I have no interest in making time for Inhumans. I didn't when it came out. Yeah. I won't now. Same with Agents of Shield. Looked at it, oh, saw everything that they were doing, said. No, thank you, and walked away. They had so many opportunities to make Agent of Shield, like it had its moments where you were like, "This is going to potentially be the greatest TV show ever," and then it would just screw it up every time. So they would. We're going to get off on a Marvel tangent. We're on a, we, this is like our seventh tangent. Um, tangent Hydra. So, I every time they would, Agents of Shield would do this very annoying thing. Where instead of using canonical characters, they would invent characters. Yes. And the only thing that was worse than that was when they would use canonical characters because they would do them extremely badly. Like Absorbing Man. Absorbing Man is my A number one. Him and Mockingbird. I just look oh at God. and I'm like, these are two completely blown opportunities. Yeah. 
fully and completely blown opportunities. Hawkeye's in universe. You can do something. There's yeah. there's something to be done here, and you do nothing. You, and they've connected it to the MCU. Yeah. Lady Sith is in an episode. Yeah. He, um, at the end of, was it the second season, Coulson looks in and there's the aircraft, the flying aircraft carriers. Oh, the helicarrier. The helicarrier that Nick Fury's flying at the end of Age of Ultron where he said an old friend took it out of mothballs, which was Coulson. Mm -hmm. And it's like, the thing that never got me about that is, you're telling me Tony Stark has zero idea that Agent Coulson is still alive. How is that even a possibility? With it's all he stupid. knows, it's well. It's like it's the unspoken thing of a- Avengers is that between Avengers and Age of Ultron came out Agents of Shield. Yeah, and Agents of Shield, say what you will, the argument is ridiculous. It is intrinsically connected to the MCU, not just because characters bleed over, which is like a number one, mm-hmm. but B. They make huge swings in the plot of the story because of the events in the MCU. Do you think that if they didn't have to connect back to the MCU, they wouldn't do the fall of Hydra? Are you out of your goddamn... They were setting up the entire thing to be the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then, in season two, they got rid of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you're out of your damn mind if you think that this was always part of the plan for them. It's always that they were cleaning up after Marvel. That was kind of the joke of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., is that they were always showing up after the fact to clean up what had happened. Yeah. But then anytime they tried to do anything remotely connected back to the comics, just blown opportunities. Mm-hmm. And the Inhumans were part of that. Just, again, you you could have done the X-Men. You almost did. The guy without eyes, that was interesting and weird. Oh but, like, never got there. No. And they had so many opportunities. And, like, you you didn't set up Quake to be Quake in the beginning. You just decided halfway through that she was going to be Quake. Yeah. And then you were like, I hope nobody noticed. We all noticed. We all noticed. You know? It's like how you did Deathlock. You didn't Dude. do Deathlock. You did this hyper-bastardization of Deathlock, which has none of the coolness and is totally bogus. And I remember when I saw that folder that said Deathlock. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit, I cannot believe they're doing Deathlock. This is incredible. Mm-hmm. And then they fucked it up. I will never forgive the the fact that Absorbing Man, A, has no personality. Yeah. B, is not a boxer. And C, his wrecking ball is this little chain that he pulls off of a velvet rope. And I'm just like, listen, if you're not going to take this seriously, I'm out. I'm not, I'm not doing this. Once again, we fall into the, there's so much source material mm-hmm. to take from. Why invent something new? Absorbing Man can go toe-to-toe with Captain Marvel. I'm just throwing it out there. Which he, Absorbing Man, is quickly becoming the Dark Phoenix in films. Because the first time it was done, it was done by um, Nick Nolte in the Hulk movie. Yeah. And that was horrible. Yeah. It was better than the one in S.H.I.E.L.D., but it still wasn't good. It still wasn't good. So they're good. 0 for 2 they're on Absorbing Man. Yeah. Which I love. I mean, he was one of Spider-Man's villains. He was. He he played around in all kinds of pies. He but, was, like, the first things I really saw him in was Spider-Man. Yeah. And like, I loved him in him. The, the best thing that I see of Absorbing Man is any time I see a poster with Crusher Hogan listed as the boxing mm. Uh, uh, one of the boxing opponents 
is like Crusher Hogan versus Mad Dog Murdoch. And mm. it's like, hey, <laughs> hey, <laughs> Absorbing Man is in this universe. Finally. You blew it everywhere else, but hey, you got it right on the poster. Once again, way to go, Marvel. All right, tangent number one done. Strange New Worlds. Um, jury is still out, but we're going to continue watching and let you know what we think. I like the, the scene of him beaming down. It was a little preachy, but I like the scene of him beaming down yeah. and talking to the, the two sides. Which and... was dead original series. Yeah. Like, that's the best vibe about this, and it is 100% an original series vibe. I will say that I don't know if they've established... A, a timeline or if they've said that uh picard and next gen are separate from strange new world and discovery or if it's supposed to be one timeline but i'm just gonna sit here and say that picard takes place in 2024 and anson mal talks extensively about a second civil war so apparently that's either going on <laughs> in picard season two or it happens after picard season two which at which point I have many questions. Because if I because like if you watch the first contact and the the whole storyline in Star Trek is there was a third world war that was nuclear, and a huge amount of the human population was wiped out, and those who remained decided to work together to create the utopia that is modern Earth, which has you know it is like the epitome of a socialist society to where no there is no money there is no possessions mm-hmm. there is no religion. Like, everyone works to better the human race. Mm -hmm. And I know that they mention it in First Contact. They mention the date of when that world war happened. I believe it was definitely after 2024. I think we can just add it to the pile of things that Picard kind of steps in by going back to 2024 without really meaning to. Because when I saw that in Strange New Worlds, I don't... I don't know enough about the deep lore yeah. to know how the utopia was reached. And so I was just like, oh, that's interesting. I have no idea. <laughs> which, when we are talking about Picard, which we can start talking about it right now, mm-hmm. it makes it that much more interesting that Reyes decided to stay behind, mm-hmm. knowing what's going to happen to civilization unless... That's why he stayed behind, is to protect them during this next big civil war. Yeah. Which... I have no idea. It's The Temptation of Rayos was interesting. The last Temptation of Rayos. Yeah. It... All right, folks. So what we're going to do now is we're talking about Picard Season 2. We're going to kind of talk about the last episode, give you a rundown. Okay, go. Okay, so the last three episodes, one is completely pointless. It's Picard and Guinan get picked up by this FBI agent, and it's just... Fully filler episode. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 100% pointless, and I cannot stress enough how much I was disappointed and frustrated with that episode. Yeah, I agree. Because I was just like, you took all the momentum that we had going into this, and you had this stupid filler thing that was like, oh, is it the FBI? No, of course it's not. It's Of course it's fucking Q. Mm. Duh. You think we're not paying attention? We're paying attention. Come on. Mm. So episode eight, bummer, blowout, stupid. Episode nine, good. Uh this is the year of female torture and media yes uh tortured female characters and their sons and uh we saw that in moon knight mm-hmm. and we see it here in picard where we find out the tragic backstory of what happened with 
Picard's mother. Which, holy cow. Whoo, boy. That was heavy. That was heavy, Doc. Like, I give them a lot of credit for going that dark. Yeah. It was really dark. I don't know that the series recovered from it, because I think that the rest of it, I don't want to call it a letdown, but it definitely, like, that was a a Uh big punch. And then you have the whole thing with the Borg, which, like, okay. So, uh, (laughs) in the filler episode... Agnes has become fully Borg, except for, like, 10% Agnes. Yes. And she has teamed up with Adam Sung to destroy the world. Yes. And she can now infect people as Borg because apparently Agnes has been eating car batteries, is what I gathered from the yeah. conversation, which I have several questions, but we're going to move on because it's not important. <laughs> you have to go deep into Borg lore and, like, how they became Borg. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So we're not going to go into it. Yeah. We're just going to say that she's eating lithium-ion batteries, and that's a totally normal thing that the human body can definitely process. Mm. So she can also now make Borgs. She makes a bunch of Borg soldiers. They get attacked at Chateau Picard. Which that scene was pretty cool, when as, all the lights came on. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Because the best part was, in all of the either previous movies or TV shows that had to do with the Borg, that green light typically comes from... Like an eye laser, mm-hmm. but they were just all of their laser scopes on their guns happened to be green. Yeah. It was like, that was pretty cool. That was pretty good. That was pretty, that was pretty cool. good. Some good filmmaking yeah, there. Some good really filmmaking. Good. Um, it did get a little, eh, I don't want to say bogged down because the entire thing with Picard and his mom was a big deal. Yeah. But like, I, the Watcher, the whatever she is. The Romulan, who's yeah. the watcher. Of... I that whole storyline, I've got it, it, so many questions. Yeah, so many questions. Uh, not the least of which being, isn't it kind of a big deal that there's a Romulan on Earth? Yeah, is that that's, that feels like a big deal. I feel like that's understatedly huge mm-hmm. as a big deal. And she's been on Earth for like 30 for like years a while, and she has advanced technology, and no, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna talk about it. We're, Okay. I feel like we should talk about it, but okay. Um, So that whole, all of her aspects in the show, and I get it, because this way you can have Picard's friend slash possible love interest. Be like a psychologist, like help him through everything. And and so I like, I get it. I just don't buy it. Yeah. Um, It it strains credulity within the canon. Yeah. Overall, like the episode, got to the end. I liked that they they brought back the hard light hologram. That was cool. Yes. That was fun. That was pretty awesome. Um, and I I liked Agnes fighting with herself. That was good. And I was really impressed with Allison Pill doing her Dude, own fight really scene. Good. She was really good in she that fight really scene. Good. She wielding a big old wrench and yeah. fighting a guy with a sword and pulling it off. Kicking ass. Um, but, like, yeah, she becomes the Borg Queen. Yeah. And then... We start getting into the muddy waters because now the Borg are released. They're given Rayos's ship and released out into the wild with the promise being that Agnes's influence will be enough to make it so that the Borg aren't evil. Yeah. Because they made it out like she's like 60-40 in control yeah. of the body. But I, I see where you're going with this, uh-huh. and I couldn't agree more, because the Borg, to me, have always been like the Daleks from Doctor Who. Yeah. Day. They will never be good. 
you know, they did, they were able to find a way to make some of the Klingons good for Worf and all that, but still the majority of the Klingons. But the Borg, well, the Borg are the were, Daleks. The Borg were just, the entire thing was assimilation. Yeah. And, you know, it's similar to the Cybermen. You can't argue with them. You can't negotiate with them. They are just a thing that consumes human life yeah. and spits out machines. And that was the whole thing with the Borg. And so now we get into the wonderful question of what the fuck is a timeline? Because they talk all the time about butterflies and we can't leave anything behind that might influence the past or change the future. And we have to be very careful about what we do. And we can't teleport Reos out of this situation because he's, a, he's around people and we can't alter the timeline. And Reos goes around and collects all the butterfly things that could potentially throw off the future. And I'm sitting here like, did we not just release the Borg in... I'm confused. Is it like a loop yeah. where the Borg have to be evil in order for Agnes to become Queen Borg? And so this, by going back into the, I'm confused by the timeline. I'm very confused by this whole idea. Well, they, they kind of talk about it in First Contact when the Borg go back to, you know, I think it's only a few years after this movie takes place, like 10, 20 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that there are Borg during that time. They're just farther out in space and have no idea. Like in the Next Generation series, the Borg have no idea humans are there until the Enterprise goes too far. Right. And then they realize there's life and they come into our universe. Right, and then this is my question, is does the events of Picard supersede? See, I don't know, because the way they make that ending seem... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is Q put, brings them back right to the point. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's like, did it happen? I mean, Allison Pill, Rayos isn't there, and Allison Pill's the queen, it? the queen, and she's in two places at once briefly. Yeah, and scares everybody for reasons. But was the, I, like this is why I'm so confused by the timeline. Yeah, is it just doesn't hold water? And I'm not used to that in a Star Trek thing. Yes. Where you're just like, but wait a minute. I know you think that your plot makes sense, but I'm sitting here and I'm telling you, this plot doesn't make sense. Yeah. You have so many things that are apparently red herrings Mm -hmm. that seem to be hugely influential of things that could be. And you keep stressing to us that these are very important details that we need to make sure we keep track of every little thing and piece of technology and everything. And then it ultimately, none of it matters because Rayo stays in the past anyway and dies in a bar fight. Yeah. And Guinan had a picture of him the entire time in her bar. And which now that makes me want to go back and watch that first episode where he's with Guinan in her bar. Mm -hmm. I got to see if that's there. Yeah. But it's just like, I I don't understand the timeline yeah. and it's the kind of thing that I end up getting hung up on. And then the last episode isn't bad, but it doesn't pay off enough, yeah. I would argue. Um, I don't know if you picked up on the subtleness of my review. I was not an enormous fan of Picard season two at the end of all things. Yeah, I, I, like, I would give it a solid B. I'd give it like a C plus. Yeah. It's definitely a step down from season one, where season one felt like this great Star Trek story, mm-hmm. where it was like, 
everybody knows Picard, so he's on this mission, and as he's on this mission, he keeps meeting people that either owe him something or want to work with him or, you know, are just, like, these outcasts that are looking for a home. And it has twists and turns, and it, it feels dynamic and awesome and, like entire time you're like oh what's going on with data and all these other things yeah. and you have the rest of the cast from the next gen series to lean on at oh, times such a great Riker and Troy scenes were amazing and then this just has none of that see the reason though I give it a B is Patrick Stewart he was so good even the episodes that were not spectacular he was still great in mm-hmm. like he was such he's such a great actor and when you're watching him you're like, to me, I, the scene that I love the most is when he says goodbye to Q. Mm-hmm. Because you're watching it like, both these actors are at the end of their lives, too. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, they're saying goodbye to each other as characters and as humans. Mm-hmm. As just people. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, I got, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I wasn't bald like a baby, but I got a little emotional during that scene. Yeah. When you I, really think about how it was, what, 1980. 88 or 89 with that very first episode the far point mm-hmm. and Q's in the very first episode of Next Generation and here he is you know th- almost 40 years later mm-hmm. saying goodbye to Picard and it's it's emotional like that was really emotional I liked that ending I I found that that message was muddied like so many other mm-hmm. things by the, the writing of just like Q's whole thing is that he wants to help heal Picard because he Q, truly loves him like deep down he loves Picard as like a Q is dying and as his last thing he wants to heal Picard yeah and so being Q he sets up this whole thing but like the way that they play it off is as Q is being evil not mm. not not purely like Loki like a like a mischief rapscallion mm. but like actually evil like endangering all of everything evil. Yeah. Well, like like he was in his other episodes. Yeah. The TV episodes, he was in the same thing where he's putting people's lives in jeopardy. And... But I never... It never felt like it had... It, it never felt like... Q was more villainous mm. and less antagonistic here. It felt That's like true. It felt like he was an outright villain who was, like, trying <laughs> to destroy some element of Picard's mm. life as opposed to this kind of malevolent but benevolent mm. you know force that is all at once love and misunderstanding of what love means i can see that and i i just i don't know that they necessarily landed that yeah and also it, you can't get away with it it's the writing is just very touch and go with his powers coming and going and just like okay yeah. all right i'll allow it yeah it definitely wasn't a strong i i do want to call out one scene which to me is the proper way to do a member berry because I thought it was a very interesting and unique thing making Soong the person that created the Khan yeah because you're like okay in this in this episode he's described as a genealogist trying to make the perfect person mm-hmm. and so yeah that makes sense that he would be one of the heads of the project that created Khan and his followers. And then that turned out so bad that his ancestors, or not his ancestors, his future people of his family created Data because they're still trying to perfect. It's like if 
Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein's like great great grandson mm-hmm. said, I'm gonna do his thing but make it perfect and yeah. it works out perfect. No, that was that was good. Yeah. That was good. And it was it was very interesting leaning on uh, uh, I keep wanting to call him data. Brent Spiner. Brent Spiner. Leaning on Brent Spiner to be the, the main villain was an interesting yeah. choice. There were a few moments. I did like the conversation that he has with Picard in the field when the Borg have surrounded the chateau and Picard basically says, come and find me. Yeah. And there's just this nice little moment of like, oh, you remember when you two were Data and Picard? And it was kind of a, like, he played it. I don't know if it, this was his interpretation of the character or is how he was directed, but he played it at the end as kind of like the twirling mustache villain. He definitely did. Which didn't fit. Yeah. Because he... I knew he could do better than that. He also just seemed to have unlimited funds and capability. Yeah. Like, he has these four war drones in his house that he has set up to attack. There just came to be a point where I was just like, okay, all right. Yeah. And Rafi has to reprogram it. Okay. All right. Yeah, it was that last episode... It's kind of the same problem I'm, I'm going to go over I have with Moon Knight. It seems like they had a lot of things they needed to bring together, but they only had one episode to do it. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of were like, all right, let's just pop just it out. Figure out a way to do it. Yeah. And it was underwhelming. Yeah. So. I I don't know. <laughs> I, I wanted to like it a lot more. I feel like at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. When I watch this back with my kids, I'm going to look back at this season and be like, man, I'm really glad that they went back to the, the first ideas yeah. instead of continuing with the what if of it all. Because this is just, I don't know. It just See, this though, it, and I know there's the third season coming up. Once the third season's done, I want to pull Lord of the Rings and start with the box set of the original series I have. Go through that do the movies, and then do the three seasons of Picard. Mm-hmm. All is like one gen- general like timeline. Yeah. I think that could be pretty interesting. That could be really good. Especially knowing this final season is going to have multiple characters from the next generation. Well, and they set up the next interesting thing that is kind of a tie-back to uh, the Talon, the, the Romulan character, which is Wesley Crusher. Dude, as the nowhere. Traveler! Yeah. I was like, holy shit, that's awesome. That's a deep cut right there. Yeah, because in the show, they, the Traveler originally said that he's got the talent to do what I do. Mm-hmm. Wesley Crusher's got the intellect, got talent. And now you know that he's actually a Traveler. It's like, dude, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That was a deep, super nerdy cut. Yeah. Because I want to say there was only two episodes of the series that dealt with the Traveler. I only remember one. Well, yeah, there was the first one, but then there was another one down the line where they bring him up again, or it's, like, talked about, and Wesley's mentioning, like, the abilities and stuff, like, Mm -hmm. but it was only in those two episodes. Yeah. So to make him a traveler, just to get him, I'm like, that is how you put an old character in a series. Yeah. By that deep, deep cut. Yeah. Dude, that was so awesome. That was a good deep cut. And you could tell he loved every second of that. Yeah. Because I can't remember if he was the one that left the show or if he was written out because he was getting older. I can't remember. I just, but I bet he really regrets. I just remember 
I don't remember anything about the backstory mm. of like why he left. I just remember being very glad when Wesley Crusher was mm. dismissed. Because like that, that's that's the Travelers episode that I remember was when he's that like his last episode is like, oh, I'm gonna go off and do this thing, and uh, he leaves the Enterprise, and there was this great sigh of relief of just yeah. like, oh, Wesley's gone, he's gone. But that's that's mean. Yeah. That <laughs> but yeah, it looked like he was loving it. So okay, so we have mixed feelings on. Picard season two, but don't get me wrong. I thought that Will Wheaton here was great, yeah, and I love his cameo appearance. Don't get me wrong at all; that was excellent. And I, I genuinely think and hope that it's going to come up again in season three. Oh, it's got to, yeah. Because if they're getting all these people back, they got to get Doctor Crusher back. Mm -hmm. Well, they've already said that that she's coming. Is Gates McFadden definitely? Because I couldn't remember. I knew Jordy Worf. Um, I thought she was on that list of characters. She might have been. Yeah. Yeah, so just to have her back alone. Yeah, you would think Wesley would show up yeah. at one point. I can't wait. I just can't wait yeah. for third season. Hopefully, we don't have to wait too long. I'm, a, I'm pretty sure they had started filming or they were filming it mm-hmm. to just get it over with, like kind of back-to-back type of deal. Yeah. So I really hope by maybe this time next year we'll have another season of Picard. Yeah. We won't have to wait like another year or anything like I that. I hope so. Not like a Doctor Who type shit. Yeah. All right, Moon Knight. Moon Knight. As a series... I give it an A. Yeah. Just because, mainly because of Oscar Isaac. He is so good. He's so good. Final episode, I, honestly, I did not like it. Really? Because the thing that made it such a strong series to me is they didn't rely on the superhero aspect. Now, I knew that was going to have to come into play at some point. I just think they grossly overdid it. With, like, the fighting giant Egyptian gods. <laughs> and they, like, once again, they kind of quickly tied in some of the storylines. And, oh, okay, he's alive, he's awake. And, or oh, his wife agreed to take on the hippo woman as her yeah, as her avatar. Yeah. And, oh, okay. Like, it, it happened so quickly. And it kind of took away from that nice, meaty setup they were doing for all those episodes. And it just... I liked it. I felt it, it It was more like a bunch of ropes pulling up a tent where it's like all these different lines had been building yeah. up over the last few episodes and like you could kind of see where everything was going and then whoop, here it is. Um, but I get that. I just, I really love the scenes of Moon Knight fighting in each persona where he keeps switching costumes. What was the name of the third one now? Uh, the third one is Jake Lockley. Jake Lockley. I'm assuming they're going to have a lot more to do with him in the next season. This is my thing. What? Is that I don't think that this is an acceptable... Unless you tell us that there's going to be a season two, I don't think that this is an acceptable way to to tie off that ending. Was just like, he's fighting Harrow, and he's losing, and then he blacks out. And I'm just like... Okay. Listen... It's going really well. I thought we had a lot of momentum. Yeah. I thought it was going really, really well. Uh, why are we still cutting away? Yeah. Why are we still cutting like, away? That's when they, instead of the end where he says, oh, this is Jake Lockley. Mm-hmm. That would have been the time to have him like shake out and they're like, 
he says Mark or Steve, and he's like, oh, no. And yeah. then he just wipes out everybody. And he wipes out everybody. And then Mark and Steven come back. And we as the audience know more than they do exactly. about what's going on. And just like it for all of the the lead into that of just these little breadcrumbs. And he's all like, oh, we're also doing this. And there's this, you know, even in the first episode, there's this, this person that's in the sarcophagus that's locked in yeah. there. And it rattles. And you're like... Oh, it's it's Mark, and it's like no, it's not Mark. It's not, yeah. um, and just like all these little little lead ups, and then to get that as the payoff was all at once like okay, but also kind of like, yeah. uh, and I also like there was something about the way that they actually ended the series, where the the good guys win and the bad guys lose, and. Uh, they are Mark and Steven are released from their bond yes. with Conchu. And then we wake up in the sanitarium and there's this weird scene of we're back in the sanitarium and then it turns and it it ends up being the doctor that realizes that he is Harrow. Yeah. And the Mark and Steven kind of trade off personas as they talk to him. And I was just like, That's what I mean about this episode. And then they wake up in bed and there's no mention of Layla or anything. And I'm like, Okay. Yeah. Wait a minute. That's what I'm talking about. What? What? Nothing's tied off. You didn't tie off anything. And you're not going to tell us that there is a season two. And so, like, as much as I did like a lot. Of elements of this, yes. I I thought that the the stuff with Layla getting superpowers and everything that was cool. That was awesome. Um, I didn't realize that she was a fully made up character until tonight. Mm-hmm. I was doing a little research and I was like, oh shit. Yeah, she was the Avatar. Of, yeah. In, in the book. well, like not only that, like the character of Layla is largely created for the show. It seems, mm-hmm. um, and Scarlet Scarab, who is apparently her alter ego, mm-hmm. although they never say it in the show again. You guys have a problem with branding where you never actually say the names of your characters because you're embarrassed by them. Yeah. And I'm just like, what are you doing? I get it. You don't want to call him Daredevil. Yeah. But only ever referring to him as the devil of Hell's Kitchen is like, that is such a mouthful, man. Like, I get it. You don't want to use the names of the characters, but like, you should probably say the character's name Mm -hmm. at some point. Or have her name herself, mm-hmm. or something. But to, to have, or do like most comic book tropes or movies where they just have someone in a newspaper yeah. came up with the name. Yeah, like they did that how many times with Superman? Where it's like, oh, Superman, I guess that's his name. Yeah, you know. and just like, ugh. but see, every complaint you had is why I wasn't a fan of this final episode because tying those off was all over the place. Mm-hmm. The editing to me was horrible. Like there was. When Haro, they're about to leave where he had just shot Mark, and he realizes that someone's lurking, being Layla, and then they cut to them just walking into the yeah the tomb, and you're like, this makes no sense. Well, like obviously he knows someone's there. There's a few scenes like that where Layla is tagged along with Harrow's entire party. Yeah, like in the truck, and nobody notices or brings it up or. That was so dumb. And yeah, no, I I can see like that that needed to be orchestrated better, especially if she's going to get flight powers yes. anyway. Um, 
So I, I just like, I don't know. In the moment, I really enjoyed it. I really mm. liked the stuff with Mark and Steven in the afterlife, kind of trying to save each other and all of all of the nonsense that they go through. And yeah, they balance I, their scales. I like all this. I like I like that it's a continuation of episode five in a yeah. really smooth and effective way. Um, <laughs> the the two gods fighting was a little ridiculous. As as a little over the top. It reminded me of a horrible movie. Um, why can't I think of a name? With Gerard Butler and the guy from Gods of Egypt. Gods of Egypt. Yeah. Holy cow! That was a pile of shit. But the giant Egyptian gods fighting like they are in that movie. You're yeah. Like, that reminded me so much of it. That was another aspect of this show that I was. I kind of gave it a hairy eyeball when I saw it, and then it never came to fruition in a effective. Yeah. or uh, satisfying way was there's like six avatars of these gods and also the gods can apparently just appear on this plane and I guess don't yeah because Khonshu has an avatar and he still appears as a fully realized god and that's the part that threw me off too because it's like you have your avatars to fight your battles yeah and here your avatars are fighting but then you're also fighting that's not. It, it felt like it, it. It was just a little silly. Yeah. It was just a little, a little kaiju battle that I was just like, okay. And it's too bad because I do like. I think they did a phenomenal job on the CGI of the normal size gods, mm-hmm. like the especially the hippo and, and the alligator. Yeah. They they were fantastic character designs. Yeah. But then why you got to blow them up? Mm-hmm. fucking size of a house and it's also a fight scene at night so it's hard to see yeah. what's actually happening and you know it's like i i i give it high marks overall mm-hmm. i i definitely like the series a lot oh as a series it's phenomenal it's very good i feel like the ending kind of got away from them and that's what i was worried about mm-hmm. it was a not typical marvel series with a mcu ending mm-hmm and that's what bothered me. Because it's like you were so close to having a start-to-finish perfect television series mm-hmm. season. And you had to MCU it at the end. See, I do like... Because I, I would be disappointed if they didn't have a lot of superhero cape stuff mm. in the end. I, I look forward to that. I wanted to see Moon Knight fight. One of my complaints with this show was that there wasn't enough actual mm. showing of Moon Knight fighting... There was just the aftermath of Moon Knight fighting, uh-huh. and we still got a little bit of that here. Um, but I I like the scenes of Steven realizing that he has more agency in this fight. And so you go from, like, yeah. Moon Knight and his full costume brawling to, like, him in his suit, and he, like, straightens up his jacket, and he punches a guy through a wall. And I was like, you know, I, I like this. He yeah. pulls out the two sticks. And, uh, I like this. And I did like the back and forth between Mark and Steven where Mark realizes that Steven isn't a burden. He actually saved him. Yeah. And be, he, like, loves Steven like a brother. Yeah, they're they're one and the same yeah. in a lot of ways, which I was so happy that, that we got there as a, a character arc. Yeah. And it didn't feel like it took too long. Like That's true. They, they didn't feel like they were at odds in the same way as in episode two. Mm-hmm throughout the entire season. It wasn't like this pulling teeth thing 
where like they would get close and then they would drift apart and they would get close and then something would happen they'd be like oh you betrayed me and it's like yeah. I, I'm so bored with that but they never did that and I was like I like this I, I like the dynamic and I like the portrayals that Oscar Isaac does for both characters and I the thing I like about the ending is when they're in the asylum at the end, which the asylum in the show, they pretty much set that up as that's like their subconscious. Because mm-hmm. they were released, Mark and Steven were released by Kaiju. Or not Kaiju. Uh, Kaiju. Kaiju. But Jake Lockley wasn't. No. And so that's why he still owns the body. Yeah. And they're both in the subconscious while Jake Lockley is running the show. And that made me wonder when Mark accepts Kaiju's gift and to become Moon Knight, was he even in control when he was injured? Because mm. it seems like most of the time he's in a really knockdown fight, it's Jake Lockley yeah. that's doing the killing. So could Jake have been the one, and then Mark came to mortally wounded, accepts it, mm-hmm. or maybe even Mark didn't accept it. Maybe it was Jake accepting it, and Mark just has a recollection of it because he was still inside the body. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was interesting. Like, that to me made the ending ending, even though MCU did the thing they love to do in killing off the villains instead of maybe leaving him alive for a future whatever. I also don't buy that he's just in an asylum. Like, he's he's gone around yeah. killing a bunch of people and they just stick him in a... Like, like is this Arkham? Is he the Joker now? What's going just on? throw him in an asylum? And I, I cannot help but look at this... And be like, so you're just going to rip off Legion, like, whole saw, oh, whole yeah. cloth. And oh, yeah. just, like, the first season of Legion, just, it fully ripped off here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, and I, I also did have a little bit of a laugh when I saw Khonshu in the full suit. Yeah. That Moon Knight wears in the back weird. of the limo. I was like, okay. All right. Why do you need an avatar? You seem yeah. to do all your own business. I, I'm confused. Do you need some th- somebody to walk on this plane for you or not? And I, I guess I kept expecting you to clarify the rules a little bit, and you never yeah. clarified the rules. Also, and this is becoming an annoying um, recurrence within the Marvel Universe, we've had a massive schism within the universe. We kind of need to know. Just tell me that he was dusted for five years. That's all I really care mm-hmm. about. Tell me that both of them were dusted. It's fine. That's cool. I don't care. I just want to know. Yeah. I just want to know. It's it's important to me to know. Or was he saved from getting snapped because he was conscious, like a god was controlling his body? Yeah. Does that keep Thanos' snap from affecting him? Because Conchu can just it's like reverse it as it's happening. Hell, I will accept that Arthur Harrow was Moon Knight at this time. And this was before uh, Stephen and Mark were even taking it. I, I'll take it as an answer. I just want an answer. Yeah. And I'm, I'm getting annoyed. Doctor Strange did it. They actually acknowledged the elephant in the room <clears throat> of this massive schism within the history of the universe. Yeah. And so many other canons just are just like, nah. Nah, I'm not interested. Well, once again, we have to have any kind of acknowledgement that this is actually taking place in the MCU. Mm -hmm. Which I wish they would have done something like that. Yeah. 
I would have loved to have had a Daredevil yeah. or something. Just, I think Peacemaker me. did it perfect. Well, at the very end, you have the Justice League show up, and you're like, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. Which I knew he was in the universe because of Suicide Squad, but it's like, all right, there's the... It's still nice. Definitive, yes. It's, we talk about fan service and member berries. These are the things... We talk about bad ones because they stick out, and the ones that are missing also stick out. Yeah. This is something that just, like, for all of our sake, because we're tired of waiting on Tinder hooks... For you to just answer the goddamn question yeah. where is reed richards what's up with mutants how do vampires work is moon knight in the mcu or is he not and you had a great way to show that like even if it's a walk by cameo of um the black knight mm-hmm. what, what the hell is kit harrington kit harrington have him like walk into the museum or walk by and it's because it's taking place you know the the stephen part of it takes place in london where Kit Harrington's character is based in, it's like, there's a way to interject. And not only that, these are two of the newer characters to the MCU. Well, you tie it back to Eternals directly and have Blade be the guy that talks to him. Yeah. You know, like, if you're going to make him part of the Secret Avengers or the Dark Avengers or whatever your plan is, which is the most logical, in my opinion, way to bring him into the movies without having to wait 10 years for him to get a movie slot of his own... Why not have Blade be the one that yeah. that stops by, and says, you know, I know you hung up the cape, but we could really use your help. See, and like I cannot wait to see that first appearance of Mahershala Ali in that Blade costume. So yeah, that would have been a slam dunk at the end of this. Mm-hmm. Tie it all in, and then have Blade show up. Yeah. Oh my god. But eh, it's fine. Uh-huh. It's just a little disappointing. There's just it is. there's there's little tidbits here and there that we can kind of look at and read into. He has two fish instead of one now. Mm-hmm. And Mark and Steven are still talking to each other, so it's not like we're back to episode one. Mm-hmm. But I just... Does Layla live in the apartment with them? Just basic questions. Just real basic, simple shit. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, because there's no mention of what happened to her after the fight. No. She, not a single thing. She disappears from the episode after the fight. Yeah. And she fully disappears. After they seal Amit in Harrow's body... Mm-hmm. She disappears from the episode. And I'm just like, Marvel, once again, doing female characters a, a strong service in their, their action. Oh, we have a female Egyptian superhero. That's great. You didn't give her a name, no. and she disappears from the plot. So I don't know what you want credit for, because if I'm going to give you credit, well, that's I want to give you credit for both. That one line where that little girl says, are you an Egyptian superhero? And she said yes. Yeah. That was the whole reason why she was in that show. Yeah. And it's like, you're right. I wish they would have done more with that character, because she was much more than just that scene. I liked Layla. Oh, she was awesome. Lot. She that was, actress was phenomenal. If later. not for Oscar Isaac being so freaking good in this, yeah. she would be one of my favorite. At, I mean, she is. She's like third. Because yeah. Oscar Isaac takes one and two, but yeah, I I would have her neck and neck a little more with Ethan Hawke because I love I really did love him as Haro. Yeah, but yeah, she was great. I believe her name so is great. May Calla Callumaway. I think so, something like that. Um, but she's so good, yeah. and she was so fun to watch, uh, including in the last episode. I really mm-hmm. liked that she got a cape and got to be a superhero and embraces the role and mm-hmm. does that thing that. I, I do kind of, once again... Or, no, actually, never mind. I was going to say, she, she takes to it a little too quickly, but she is a fighter. She is a, she's not a, a mercenary like Mark is, but she is 
Mm. She has combat experience of one kind or another. Um, so I, I did like that, and I, I just wanted more clarity and closure mm. on a lot of things. Or just tell me that you're going to do season two, one or the other, and give me give me a date. Tell me that season two is going to come out next year so that I can just be like, okay, put it on the calendar, season two, next year. But you didn't do that. Which they don't have to worry about Oscar Isaac being taken for Dune 2. Because he did? Because he did. Except for, I, I gotta, we gotta mention the big news. Um, the sequel to Dune has, um, they brought in Cowbell. I can't think of it. Christopher Walken is gonna play the Emperor. Which I know, and that's the problem with Christopher Walken. He has done some of the best serious roles. I know. But it's still, you laugh when you hear Christopher Walken suddenly think about his cowbell. All I can think of is Wedding Crashers and Cowbell and oh Balls God. of Fury. and Balls of Fury. Like Bing just, bong. I, I just look at it and I'm just like, nah, dude, nah. His, his Captain Hook, or he seemed a little off. For that, do you remember that NBC performance of Peter Pan? Oh, I watched literally half a second of that. Yeah. I was like, I can't watch this. But just like, I I love, I love Chris Walken in a lot of things. I think he's a great actor. I would not cast him in a serious role. Uh, I I look at the Jungle Book as my main thing that I kind of circle and I say, uh, and this is the problem area. It's his King Louie. Yeah. I just circle it and I'm just like, hear all of this, this is the problem. <laughs> and once again, it's it's like he was this Oscar winning serious actor and now he's become kind of a punchline. Yeah. He's but, a fucking uh, deer hunter. Like, yeah. For crying out that's loud. That's what he won the Oscar for, which is freaking an unbelievable movie. Yeah. Like that whole scene, the... the uh, the scene. The Russian roulette scene. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Um, but Oscar Isaac, the only things that he has coming up right now, which are, he does a voice in in uh, Into the Spider-Verse 2. Ooh. But then he's playing Solid Snake in the Metal Gear Solid movie. Really? Which, if anyone I have I have hopes can actually make it good, it's Oscar Isaac playing the That character. could be very interesting. Which yeah. I remember hearing, this is kind of similar to him, his love... For the property is similar to Ryan Reynolds' love for Deadpool. Ah. And so if he can bring that level of passion into being Solid Snake. Or Henry Cavill with The Witcher. Oh my god. Which that third season's... I can't wait! Oh, I hate that I have to wait so long for some of these amazing things. Anyway, folks. that So Moon Knight, if you haven't seen it yet, it is a master class in acting by Oscar Isaac. Highly recommend. Like I said, I give the entire first season an A mainly because of his acting is top-notch. Um, but that's pretty much it for this episode, episode 54, NerdPod Generations. Once again, um, being the 54th episode, that means we have 53 gems that you need to go back and listen to. And when you are done with that, go to YouTube.com, look at our videos, and look it up for future videos as well. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for any personal information on me as far as the other things I like to do, go to staylorbooks.com. You can find me at judsonstudios.work under the Bronx Division tab. I do have a review of 42, the Jackie Robinson <gasps> biopic. Oh, you do? In the, the canon. I just got to edit it. Nice. Uh, we watched that last week. And that 
is an interesting movie. It's an interesting movie. It is not the most shining Harrison Ford. I liked him pretty good in it. He was he, okay. He but... was playing an old curmudgeonly man, but I just yeah. remember Alan Tudyk. And I I don't think I'll ever see Alan Tudyk the same way ever again after yeah. watching that movie. Yeah, I agree. That was... Wow. I saw him come out of the dugout, and I was like, is that Alan Tudyk? And then he started talking, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I've never heard Alan Tudyk say yeah. these words before. Yeah. Not him. <laughs> um, so anyway, yes. It's, that That's for another day. Okay. Come back and check that out on YouTube. Well, we will see you next week, everyone. Yes. Have a great week, friends and enemies. Yeah.